What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. Got a good amount to talk about today. We had the NBA Finals wrap up on Thursday. We had a couple of College World Series games get played now. Uh, most of our teams have been eliminated by now. Got three remaining with a game today. And I uh, got some PGA slash live golf news and Stanley Cup final news. So we'll start off the NHL today and some Stanley Cup finals game results so far. Um, they're all underway. We are through game four as of Thursday morning when we're recording. Um, been pretty good uh, game two and three, or three and four rather, were pretty good. Game two uh, was a route in Denver. Avalanche dominated 7-0. Tampa Bay only had 16 shots on goal. Uh, Colorado's defense was pretty smothering, and they just, I mean, Tampa really just couldn't get the get in the puck in the offensive zone. Um, Colorado really dominated the game in every facet of <clears throat> every facet of the game. Um, they've been great all playoffs, and they continue to be great in game two. Um, their offense had at least two goals in each period. Uh, so two goals in the first, two goals in the second, and I believe two goals in the th- in the third. I think it was three goals in the in the uh, in the third in the second period. I think is what it was. Maybe it was uh, in the first. Um, been a minute, so I don't quite remember which uh, which period they had three in. But um, like I said, they dominated every facet of the game. It, it really was really no competition. So uh, kind of shifting to Monday, it was almost a. Mu- I mean, it, it was definitely a must win for Tampa in Game Three. Is you know anybody goes down 3-0 in a series, whether it be hockey, baseball, or basketball, uh, it's nearly improbable. Uh, to come back, uh, although Tampa won Game Three, uh, being down 2-0, you know, backs against the wall is what kind of when they've played the best this year. Same thing happened in the uh, Rangers series; they went down 2-0. Um, 35 minutes into the game, Lightning were up 6-2, and they kind of boat raced them, um, kind of being the final score. But uh, they really got off to a hot start and got it rolling pretty quick. Um, six different players scored for the Lightning, and they got their first win, which was a much needed win. Um, you know, again, you can't really go down 3-0 in a series. It's really hard to come back from. 3-1's a little more manageable, but you kind of got to get to 2. Kind of get 2-1 first. Um, winning four straight is really hard, especially against a good team like the Avalanche. So, really big winning game three. Then game four last night was phenomenal, really similar to game one. Came down to the wire. Um, Lightning had the early lead as opposed to game one where the Avalanche had the early lead. Um, Tampa was up 2-1 to one at the second intermission and then failed to score in the third period as the, as the Avs tied it in the third period. Um they then go to overtime, and uh, the Avalanche were utterly dominant in in overtime uh, last night. I mean, they it seemed like every time I looked up, I looked up the screen. Uh, you know, the Avalanche were on the attack in the offensive zone, controlling the puck. Um, I mean, it was a dominant performance in them in overtime. It felt like, you know, every every thirty seconds looked like Colorado's going to score, and finally they did. Um, they go up three uh, one. They're kind of going back to Colorado for Game Five. Um, I'm, I'm thinking they're going to close it out in five. I don't know about you, but considering they've, they've, they've taken the first game on the road, probably means I think they're going to win in five games. Yeah, no, it's been an exciting Stanley cup final so far. Um, going back, my prediction was abs versus lightning abs and six. So I'm going to stick with it. I think the lightning win game five. Um, but yeah, pretty exciting series. I mean, really didn't expect it to be this dominant. I thought the Lightning, you know, they have a lot of experience with their roster. Thought they would have played a little bit better in a couple games that they lost and or maybe at least made them competitive game two and three were, were not too competitive um, in either direction, but I thought it would have been really close. I thought the Lightning would probably have one more win at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, see kind of what we have in the next game and see if the Lightning can win three straight. Uh, I doubt they will, regardless of when the Avalanche win at all. I think they will. But it'll be fun to watch and see 
you know, who steps up if anyone does for the Lightning. Yeah, no, it should be good. I think, um, you know, I think if if the Lightning can get game five, uh, they can kind of get back to Tampa. I think they push to seven. I'd love for it to go seven. Um, I think it, it's just game sevens are great. They're the best thing in sports, um, especially in hockey. I'd love to see a game seven in Colorado. Um, but should a game seven be played, it'll be played on Juice, on Tuesday, June 28th. So uh, we will have our finals recap on the next episode for episode 18. Like I said, game seven will be played Tuesday, so we'll already know the results there. Um, tomorrow's game six, or sorry, tomorrow's game five. It's scheduled for eight Eastern on ABC, ESPN, ESPN Plus in Denver at Ball Arena. Um, again, I would expect Colorado to take it home. Uh, it's just it's a hard place to go play, especially for a group of older players like the Lightning. Denver's a hard place to go play in that elevation. I think that's probably played a part in this. I don't know how you feel about how how you feel about it, but I feel like this is, you know, Colorado's came in rested this series, and um, you know, the Lightning just they're an older they're an older squad and they didn't have the rest. Came in off of Game Seven, so or Game Six rather. Um, Against against New York, so just I think they're taking a toll on them. You know, I think that if they can, you know, maybe get to game get to game six, they have a shot. But I really don't think they're going to get to game six. Yeah, I mean, with tomorrow's game, I don't. It's just going to come down to if the Lightning can get enough offense to come through. It seems like their offense has been so spotty for this series, especially. Um, but it'll be fun to watch. Be tuned into that. But we're going to shift over to the golf world. And before we get into the U.S. Open news, uh, U.S. Open took place last week. Two more players defected to the Live Golf Tour. Uh, Brooks Kepka will join his brother Chase, who joined a couple weeks ago, and Abraham Anser also joined the league. From here on out, we won't discuss any Live Golf news in terms of like standings and winnings and stuff, unless a PGA Tour player leaves in favor of it. So we're going to stick to the PGA Tour stuff, uh, the stuff here in America where we're not going to talk too much about a league that's funded by Saudis, um, just not quite as good competition and the money they get, it's not really a true tournament. It's only three days. You have one less day of action and the money is kind of like artificial. It's not quite as earned. Um, the last place finisher in the live golf tour, while there is also no cuts, the last place finisher makes like top 10 money that a guy on the PGA tour would make. So it's just not quite as exciting. It's not quite as earned. Uh, so we're going to stick to PGA Tour news, like I said, unless a PGA Tour player leaves in favor of it. But as we shift to the PGA Tour, um, the U.S. Open was played last week. It was the third of four majors played on the calendar year. And it was a wild four rounds in Brookline, Massachusetts. The course was brutal, as we thought, going into it. Though the low rounds were only 66, 66, 67, and 65. Looking at those, they're not too bad scores, but when the course is a par 70, uh, it looks like a lot worse than if it was a par 72. So even if you shoot the best round each day, you only finished at 16 under. Uh, that might place you in top 30 in some of the tournaments that we have on the tour schedule. And it was it was crazy throughout the whole tournament. Last week, we were discussing what score might get it done. And the answer ended up being six under by the Englishman Matt Fitzpatrick. A little bit younger guy that doesn't have, you know, quite the tour distance you would expect someone of his caliber to have. Consistency, consistency was the key for him, the 27-year-old out of Northwestern. He shot a 68, 70, 68, and 68, earning himself $3.15 million as the U.S. Open has one of the biggest payouts on tour. Um, was really impressed with his performance over the course of the week, obviously. 
shooting 68 all but one day is going to get you pretty high up um, on a course like the one in Brookline. Um, kind of not, I, would, I don't want to say a shocker, but not a guy I picked to finish really high in this tournament. Um, while he does have a lot of experience on tour being 27 and started pretty young, uh, I didn't think this would be the kind of course that would favor him. Um, I thought he would play well, but I didn't think he'd be near the top, let alone at the top. Uh, but the defending champ, John Rahm, was in the lead after two rounds. But with the 71 and a 74 on the weekend, he kind of took himself out of contention. Uh, Will Zalatoris, who has seemingly been the favorite on the final day at some point in every tournament, failed to convert the 54 lead into a trophy once again, but still came in a tie for second with the world number one, Scotty Scheffler, as they both took home 1,557,687. Still a really solid payday, and Will is doing just fine this year uh, in terms of payouts. But, I mean, I was kind of shocked just based off the leaderboard. I mean, obviously, we have a lot of veterans that have been around the block on the PGA Tour, high up on the leaderboard with it being such a hard course. But just overall, the top ten or a few surprises? Yeah, I mean, I watched – I was at work on the, on the on day four of the U.S. Open, unfortunately, so I, I only watched – a couple holes periodically. I tried to watch. I actually watched Scotty had a a birdie putt that he he uh, he left just short, I believe, and um, ended up costing him as he went for par. So I saw that hole, and I saw a couple other ones, and I saw I saw eighteen. I saw Will's putt um, that he just barely missed to, to send it to a playoff. Um, you know, I feel bad for Will. You know, he's he's been so close. I think I even texted you. I said, man, is Will going to close it out today? Like, is he finally going to get one? And, um, yeah, he didn't. I think it's it's going to happen for him. I don't know when it's going to be. You know, I hope it's I hope it's the next major. I, I really don't know. Um, you know, I feel for the guy that, again, he's been, he's been putting in a lot of work and uh, he's been so close and he, he can't he can't get it. Uh, can't get it done. But. Uh, nonetheless, it was a really good tournament. Um, I'm glad to see a guy, uh, you know, like a Matt Fitzpatrick to win it, uh, a guy who's not necessarily a favorite. Um, I think that's good for golf. I think it's good to have more than just a few guys play um, high-level golf each week and, and win tournaments, um, which is good to see. Not shocking that John Rahm ended up having a, a pretty solid uh, first couple of rounds. Um, and then Scotty, again, no shock there with the world number one coming in high for second. Um, you know, he had a really good tournament. I think uh, – 1.5 mil is not a bad consolation prize for Scotty and Will. So as much as I do feel bad for, for Will and Scotty for not kind of getting it done, they took home a nice uh, nice chunk of change for coming in second. So I'm not going to complain about it too much from them. Yeah, definitely. And both those guys, especially Scotty, has finished at the top multiple times this year. So they've made much more than Matt Fitzpatrick has has to, this, uh, to date this year. But we're going to shift to this weekend, the current – PGA Tour event taking place is the Travelers Championship, which will be played at TBC River Highlands in Cromwell, Connecticut. Purse is 8.3 mil, and early on, as we are recording this in the morning, Cam Smith is the leader um, at four under through nine, I believe, if that has changed. But Charles Howell III is now the leader at five under through 14. So, a little bit of an easier tournament, obviously. Um, someone's already five under, and we're, he's about fifth what, fifth of the way through the whole tournament. So I expect the winner to be probably around 14 under, if I had to guess. Um, 
but in terms of the Travelers Championship last year, I remember watching it. Um, when I when I saw the Travelers Championship was this week, I was like, wow, I hope – I mean, it won't, but I hope it kind of lives up to the hype that last year's had. Uh, Harris English won the event last year. Really dramatic finish in an eight-hole playoff. He was facing off with a brand-new PGA Tour player in the playoff, and it just seemed like they were going back and forth every single hole, uh, whether they were playing the 17th or 18th in the playoff. And English ended up birdieing the hole as – uh, I believe, can't remember his name. He parred every hole. So the one birdie clinched it for English. A really fun championship to watch last year. Hope, like I said, it's another fun one to watch this year. But as we shift to looking forward to an upcoming major, the next and the final champion major championship of the year is the Open, which is always played at St. Andrew's Links, that old course in St. Andrew's, Scotland. Colin Morikawa won the event last year, and it is scheduled to tee off on July 14th. That'll be a really fun one to watch. I'm looking forward to it. I have off that whole week, um, so that'll be fun to tune into and finally watch a tournament in its entirety. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, if I had to make an early prediction for this, I want to say Zalatoris would win, but at the same time, I can't really trust that he'll win. So if I had to guess – I'd probably say ooh, this is tough. A lot of guys I would pick are no longer on the PGA tour, but they will be playing in this. Um, I'll go with Dustin Johnson, a little bit of a shocker. Um, I think right. he gets back on track. Maybe, maybe the live golf does something to his game. Maybe the few, few less days practicing each week. Does a little something for him. So I'll go with him. Um, and it's not as bad travel for those guys on the live golf as they just kind of have to go a short trip to Scotland. Yeah, I, I like that, uh, that thought process. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rock with it as well. I'm going to go with, uh, I guess, is Brooks playing in that? I know he just I know he just left the tournament. Is probably Brooks going to play in that tournament? Week. I don't know. I don't know about this week. Probably next week. So I start. assume he's playing in the Open, though. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'll go with Brooks. Um Really, just like you said with DJ, like it does maybe does does a couple less rounds of golf each, you know, one less round of golf each weekend help him help his game a little bit. Um, again, shorter travel, they're gonna have a leg up on the PGA guys. So, um, yeah, I just kind of I'll, I'll I'll hit on the live golf stuff really quick since I really get to I didn't hit on it earlier. Kind of sucks that one of my one of my favorite golfers was Brooks Kepka just because. I think he's good for the game of golf. I think he's good for getting garnering fans to the sport. Um, same thing with him and him and Bryson's like little beef or whatever they had was I thought it was good for golf. Like golf needs more of that kind of stuff to draw more viewership and all that stuff. So I, I'm a big Brooks Kepka guy. I'm um, just just kind of for that reason. Um, and I just think he's I think he's funny. I think he's a good golfer. Um, but I, it kind of sucks to see him leave the PGA and go to the Live Golf Tour. Um, definitely not to get to not gonna get to watch him actually golf. You're gonna see maybe some highlights and stuff, but. Um, just kind of sucks to see. I think that's the one thing that I'll say, like that I really don't like, is that it's gonna just gonna kind of suck to see a lot of fan favorite golfers leave um, the PGA and not gonna get to see him golf anymore. So, um, but although it's gonna come bring on a lot of new blood into the PGA, which is always great. Um, looking forward to kind of finding some new new favorites in the PGA for sure. So, um, yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd hit on that real quick before we get into the MLB stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely going to be different and still kind of remains to be seen what the Live Golf Tour will look like in the coming years, if it even exists. Um, I assume it will just because of the money. But 
their Greg Norman, who kind of is a founder and CEO of it, was a legend on the PGA Tour. I know we touched on a couple of weeks ago when we first talked about it. He is pushing for there to be points, a point system that you can have through the Live Golf Tour so that guys over there can be factored into the official world golf rankings because uh, it's all based off of, you know, points you get from tournaments. But I don't know if that will be a kind of approved because they play one less round it's a little bit different for those guys so maybe they'll have to add a round and make it just like the pga for those guys to be eligible to be ranked in the official world golf rankings but i don't know i mean it's a separate tour it's just all kind of new and unless something major comes from it probably won't be discussing it um just gonna stick to the stuff that we always have and have known here um on the pga tour and i just think it's more exciting the way they do it you know with an extra round and it's just a lot more there's a lot higher stakes when you're not playing for, oh, am I going to get four mil or five mil? It's like these dudes are like playing eight hole playoffs like we had last year at the Travelers. And it's like, are you are you going to get two mil or are you going to get 500,000? It's a little bit different and a little bit lesser degree, obviously. But I think it's just more fun. And like I said, it's a little more pressure and there's more stakes. A little more pure, too. I mean, again. You can say what you want. I mean, there's going to be a lot of good golfers in the live tour. Uh, it's a lot of it appears to be a lot of older golfers that are maybe on the on the back end of their career, or just you know aren't at their peak anymore. Um, kind of like DJ and Brooks potentially, but um, I think it's just more pure. I think again, there's less money involved in the PGA, which makes I think it's just you've got more guys that just love golf playing playing in the PGA than as opposed to guys who really really like golf and they're really good at it, but like the money a little bit more. Which again. I'm not gonna. I don't, I'm not gonna knock a guy for taking that kind of money. It, that's stupid money, but you know, I think it's PGA is a little more pure as well in terms of, um, you know, you're like you said, you're playing for more. Uh, each each hole is gonna cost you a little bit more. You know, uh, stakes are a little higher in terms of winning. So I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, kind of what the difference is there in the PGA and the live in terms of stakes in each hole. But we'll kind of shift to the MLB. We'll kind of get onto a more. Uh, I guess positive note, a less controversial note here with the with the living in the PGL. We'll get into the MLB here. You got our stats update this week. We did a little standings update last week. Get to the stats this week with our alternating schedule here. I'm going to start us off with the ERA leaders, earned runs, average leaders. Uh, number one, actually, I'll start from five this week. I'll, I'll go backwards from five this week. Uh, number five, we got Martin Perez from the Texas Rangers at a 196, continuing his great stretch. I believe when I checked this morning. Um, I think his ERA in his last six starts is like a point nine three. Points point six three over his last seven starts is what it was. Um, he's been incredible this year. He's kind of come out of nowhere. There's always going to be a couple pitchers that nobody really knows about that come out of nowhere, and he's that guy this year. Um, he's had a great year for for the Rangers this year. Kind of the one of the lone bright spots on that roster, especially on that pitching staff this year. Um, so really good to see there in Texas. Out in Arlington, uh, number four is Sugar Shane McClanahan. This dude has been nails this year. Really young guy. Um, every pitching stat, uh, you know, for starters, he's in the top five. Uh, ERA is one of them at a at a uh, at a one eight one from Tampa Bay. I mean, this guy has been money. Um, he's easily my AL Cy Young pick right now. As great as you know, guys like Dylan Cease, Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez. As good as those guys have been. Shane McClanahan's been better um, in every facet, and he's you know it's good to see young guys like him uh, have really successful starts to their career in the MLB. So um, look for him to kind of be a mainstay out in Tampa Bay for a long time. Should they elect to keep him in a few years when his contract's up, I assume they would. You don't usually let you know uh, Cy Young pitchers walk 
Uh, but coming to number three, Sandy Alcantara, another young guy in Miami, sticking in Florida here at number three, that with a 172 ERA. Another, like I said, another young guy, pretty young early in his career. Um, like I said, really good to see young guys performing well. I, I personally, I love it when when the league has young talent that performs really, really well. Uh, NFL, NBA, MLB, whatever it may be. I uh, love to see these guys come in and perform well early in their careers and and earn their money early and kind of get paid. Um, so another guy, Alcantara, who should get paid when he, when his time is due. Uh, again, I, I don't know if he stays in Miami long term. Uh, you know, potentially a guy who gets moved at a trade deadline. You know, in a year or two, and they don't really have any more contract control over him. Um, just knowing how Miami is, they're never, they're just never really a, a perennial contender. So, you know, maybe that changes with the wild card format, but I could see him, a, a guy, maybe in the, in the coming years being dealt to a contender, you know, like a New York team, like a Los Angeles team, uh, you know, just kind of off the rip there. Uh, and then number two, coming to Joe Musgrove, we've got a very slim margin by a hundredth of, a, of an earned run from two to one here. But at number two is Joe Musgrove of the San Diego Padres at a one five nine. Um, no, no, Joe threw a no, no last year. Uh, almost threw one again this year. He's been great. He's been nails for the Padres this year, as expected. Um, the guy's a great pitcher. I don't think he gets the love he deserves. Obviously, he's not a he's not a huge strikeout guy, um, but I think there's beauty in being a pitch to contact guy, a guy who can just induce ground balls, yeah, you know, weak flyouts, that kind of thing. I think there's beauty in it. Um, so again, Joe Musgrove, a guy who's been who's been dealing this year. All he does is shove, um, you know, going back a couple of years. So, um, yeah, no, no shock to see him here. And then number one, like I said, the slim lead at a one five eight, a hundredth of an earned run over Joe Musgrove is my guy, Tony Gonsolin and the Dodgers, the cat man. Um, he's been I mean, if you'd have told me that this that this far through the through the season, you know, June, June 23rd, that Tony Gonson will be leading the team at ERA. I had said they're in trouble. Um, but is it a one five eight? He's having a career year. Um, a similar start to what Hinton Ryu had for them in 2018. Um, you know, really good start. I think he came in second in Cy Young voting that year. Um, he ended up with a really good year. I think he left that offseason, went to Toronto. Um, Gonson's in a kind of different spot. He's under contract for a couple more years, I believe, under contract control. Um, but he, he's been – Nails when the Dodgers have needed a guy to be nails. Um, like I said last week, Walker Bueller shut down for, you know, probably till September. Kershaw is only on his third start back uh, from the IL stint. Uh, Andrew Haney, who who had a really, really good first couple starts in April, uh, hit the IL and just came off. So they've needed a guy to kind of secure the bullpen or bullpen, secure the kind of that rotation as of late. And Gonsolin's been that guy all year. Um, you know, really glad to see Tony kind of kind of come into his own. He's He's been – with the org for a while now, um, kind of used them out of the pen as kind of a long relief guy for a long time. Uh, definitely last year and the year prior, and he just kind of can never get his footing coming out of the bullpen. And I think he's now he's a full fledged starter and he's certainly um, nailed down his spot in this rotation permanently. I, I fully expect the Dodgers to go get another another solid pitching uh, starting pitching arm at the deadline this year. And I, and I think Tony Gonsolin has made himself more than safe as a guy to remain in the rotation when they do to get that guy. Um, don't know who it's going to be. I couldn't tell you yet. It's all going to depend on standings this year when we get to the deadline. But um, like I said, Gonsolin's been great. Um, I really, really love to see it from him. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the ERA list. Again, ERA list is kind of never really going to be your aces. Obviously, obviously sometimes these guys are like Corbin Burns on the strikeout list. Guy gives up a couple homers because, you know, better pitchers just miss on a couple spots rather than, you know, miss on a few spots throughout the game. They give up a couple homers. The ERA goes up. So, 
Um, but you know, like I said, there's beauty in guys who can pitch to contact and just induce ground outs, weak, weak contact. So um, definitely want to give a shout to the ERA leaders this week. Yeah, those are five guys that have been at or near the top for most of the season. Uh, still bunched together pretty close, all between, you know, four-tenths of, of a run per nine. Um, kind of expected. I think as we continue to go through the season, you'll see them kind of separate from each other, um, see guys move around in the rankings as well. We're going to shift to strikeouts here, though, and five guys who have also been, you know, right there probably in the top ten for most of the year. Coming in at number five, Carlos Rodon. Uh, I believe he was my NL Cy Young pick from San Fran at 101 on the year in terms of strikeouts. Number four, Garrett Cole, who has been a little hot and cold this year, but uh, out of the Yankees, he has 103 strikeouts. So I've always been there regardless of, you know, how many runs he's given up. Dylan Cease at number three, younger guy from the White Sox, pitching really well, um, 108. Corbin Burns, who was my – who was no, he was my Cy Young uh, from the Brewers at 110. Uh, he was at the top a little bit ago, but Shane McClanahan, like you said, is doing real well for the, for the Rays. So I know he pitched against the Orioles a couple – like uh, maybe a week and a half ago, and he pitched pretty well. And he is sitting at the top by three at 113. Um, you know, like any of these rankings, they're subject to move around. But these are five guys that are really produced for most of the year. Um, like you said, some of them, their ERA might not be as high. And that's just because of the type of pitcher they are and how good they are. Um, ERA is just how consistent you are, really. Um, you know, if you have one bad outing, your ERA could skyrocket. If you, I mean, if you don't record an out and you give up three runs, your ERA is going way up. So it's kind of subject to, I guess, how, like you said, how many spots you miss, not where you miss. So these guys are all really good pitchers. Most of them are, I mean, have been proven guys that have been real dominant in this league. So no shocker to see them up here, but I definitely think probably one of those guys will sneak into the top five in ERAs. Yeah, I would bet on, on a guy like – obviously Shane's up there at top five, but I, I would bet on Corbin Burns' ERA dropping pretty low as the year goes on. Um, a guy who closed last season really, really strong. So maybe look at him as a guy who could sneak up there. Uh, I think it's worth noting I kind of as you get into the season, you'll start to see teams push guys a little further into games and they'll start giving up more runs. Like, for example, Tony Gonsolin for his first five starts only went five innings. Again, he's gone – say like he went seven his last three outings, but – Sometimes guys will kind of get off with a lower ERA because they will have lesser innings pitched kind of in on July 1st or whatever it is. So nothing to keep into keep in mind there with looking at ERA leader, but we're gonna go with saves here, our last pitching stat of the of the week. I wanna I wanna start getting saves in here again. I wanna give some love to the relievers and the closers. Um coming in at number four, we've got two guys tied at four. We've got Emmanuel Class Class, I think is how you say his last name. I always forget how to say his last name. He's really solid closer though in Cleveland. With the Guardians at 17 with an 89% save percentage and only two blown saves this year. And then other, also number four is Jordan Romano from the Toronto Blue Jays with 17 saves as well. And an 85% save percentage and three blown saves. So I wanted to add the percentages and blown saves in there because, you know, again, sometimes save numbers can get inflated by guys who have a ton of opportunities but below a few saves. So I think it's also an important step to keep in mind with top relievers is um, while you can have a lot of saves, it's also important what your safe percentage is, which we're going to see here at the top with, two, with uh, one and two. Uh, but number three is Kenley Jansen uh, of the Atlanta Braves with 18 saves at an 86% save percentage with three blown saves this year. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that have three blown saves. It's just going to happen sometimes. Uh, 86% is pretty solid. Um, Kelly's been a guy who's been solid all, his whole career. I wish the Dodgers would have kept him. Craig Kimbrell is buns. The dude is trash. Um, I'm not trying to get him just DFA'd and off the roster, but it's not going to happen. But nonetheless, uh, Jansen's been great this year. He's been really solid. Um, again, a couple blown saves here and there, but that's going to happen. Uh, coming to number two, and this is where, um, you know, Josh Hader's at number two out of the Milwaukee Brewers. He's got 20 saves, but here's where he sticks out. He has 95% save percentage with one blown save. That means in 21 opportunities, he's gotten a save 20 times. Um, this guy's nails. All he does is shut teams down. Um, and at number one is Taylor Rogers of the Potters at 21 saves and 88 save percentage, uh, 88% save percentage, as well as three blown saves. So again, while Rogers may have one more save, I'm taking Josh Hader every time because he's got a higher save percentage with only one blown save, um, which I believe came in a one-run ball game. So, again, you give up one homer, you tie it up, that's a blown save. So, uh, you know, again, I, I think this is cool. I want to I see if I can find some sort of a, a metric to find for other relievers, but kind of going to be hard to do. But, uh, yeah, pretty cool to see kind of saves here. Um, again, closers get a lot of money for a reason to come in and shut games down, so it's pretty valuable to have. Yeah, and like you said, Rodgers has had three more opportunities than Hayter, which is the reason he has the most saves. Um, but, yeah, I mean, five guys that have been up there for most of the year. Um, like I said, still only really one-third of the way through. So we'll see who sticks up there in the coming weeks and see if any guys can jump a few other guys to get to the top. I'm going to shift to offense now. As we're going to talk about batting average, top five guys in the MLB in that aspect. Coming at number five, Rafael Devers from the Red Sox at 328. A guy that's hit really well for average these past few years. I expect him to be hitting up there for mo the rest of the season. Uh, right around 330 is where he's been the whole year. Number four, Andrew Vaughn from the White Sox at 333. A um, little bit of a younger guy. Hasn't really done a whole lot. Has been hot as of late. Um, but 333 is solid. Uh, I don't know what to expect from him if he's going to stay, if he's just really hot. So I don't know kind of what direction he's going to go in after this. Three, Xander Bogart's going back to Boston um, with the Red Sox at 355. He's like, like Devers, he's hit really, really well these past couple of years. And I think he'll not be 355, but I think he'll be uh, right up there at the top. Number two, Paul Goldschmidt, who is hitting really well. Um, he's been really hot as of late, always a really good hitter and being on the Cardinals. I mean, the Cardinals have two good hitters in Arenado and Goldschmidt. I wish they were a little bit better, um, still playing well, but there's always room for improvement. I think Cardinals can get back to the top this year, um, uh, with a hot streak. Number one, Luis Arias from the twins at 355. I think his, his, uh, approach is just get on base and just put a hit wherever you need it uh, the dude is not gonna have you know all the big stats that you look for in a really good hitter um, he's just a really really good on base old school hitter I mean, hitting 355 is incredible he's been almost an everyday player so definitely a valid stat and I think I think he'll be up there for a little while um, I don't know if he finishes the end of the season in the top two or at the top but He's really been a really good hitter this year, and it's impressive to see. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, 
again, a list that you kind of expect to see, like guys like Devers, Bogarts, Goldschmidt, um, Vaughn and Arias, maybe some surprises there, but guys have just had really good starts to their year and you can't knock it. Um, kind of moved to home runs here, more of a power aspect. We've got four guys tied at number five, so I'm going to through them pretty quick. Uh, Kyle Schorber of the Philadelphia Phillies, Christian Walker of the Arizona Diamondbacks, Byron Buxton of the Minnesota Twins. I don't know why I almost forgot Twins. And Anthony Rizzo of the New York Yankees are all tied at 19 homers, guys who bring a lot of power to the plate. Number four, we've got the strongest guy in the MLB, Pete Alonzo. Big, strong guy, Pete, uh, with 20 homers for the Mets. Listen, big, strong guy like him, going to hit a few homers with 20. Uh, at number two, we've got two ties at number two with Jordan Alvarez of the Houston Astros and Mike Trout of the Los Angeles Angels at 21 homers. And we've got uh, number one, all rise for the judge, Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees at 27. Uh, the guy has been just hitting the crap out of the ball this year. It's just there's no other way to put it. Um, he was my AL MVP pick. It looks pretty strong right now. This guy has been just on a tear. I think he had a he had like a, a cold streak, or like a, I think he was saying like a home run drought of like seven games, and he hit two last night. So no more drought for him. He hit two bombs last night. So um, you lead the league by by six homers right now is pretty impressive. So twenty seven. So um, granted, they're playing in the Creative Park, you know, in the Bronx, the short porch. But never, nevertheless, homies crushing the ball this year. Um, you don't love to see it because. Nobody likes the Yankees unless you're a Yankees, a Yankees fan, but um, the guy's about to get paid. So, be um, good for him. He's about to get like $400 million. So, yeah, no, he's been up there the whole year. I definitely think he'll be up there at the end of the year. Big lead right now, like you said, by six homers. Um, but yeah, it's impressive what he's doing right now. He's the guy we're going to kick off the RBI rankings list with, at, tied for number four with 52. Along with him, we have C.J. Crone from Colorado, who's was hot, got cold, and getting a little hot again. Uh, he's at 52, and then Francisco Lindor from the Mets, also at 52. So those three guys kind of fighting for that fourth spot. Number three, we got Paul Goldschmidt from the Cardinals, like we said, at 60. Uh, just hitting really well, always a good hitter. Um, you know, singles, doubles, homers, he's pretty evenly spread. Number two, Jose Ramirez, just a really, really good old-school hitter, always high up there in the on-base percentage as well from the in Guardians, 62 RBIs on the year. Um, definitely think he'll be up there. You could take over Pete, big, strong guy, Alonzo, who is four ahead of him at the moment from the Mets at 66. I definitely – I think Jose Ramirez will finish the season at the top just because of how consistent he's been. Most of Pete's RBIs are coming from the 700-foot homers <laughs> that he's hitting. Um but, I mean, that's to be expected when you're Jeez. pushing the 1,000 on the bench press. So, the dude is just launching them left and right here. Um, but don't ask him about the home run rankings. I don't think he'll be too pleased on that. He, he's working on it, though. He's working on it. I think he'll, he'll, he'll overtake the top here in the next, he just, you know. He just, he just needs to get his incline up to 600 now. So, I mean, listen, he's, yeah. he's almost there. So, I mean – I mean, who knows? After tomorrow, he might overtake Aaron Judge and hit eight home runs. So, I really – I don't know what to expect from this guy. He makes listen, the rankings interesting. A big, strong guy like him, he could button one. He could peek a lid on a button and hit it out. I mean, listen, big, he strong might. guy like him, he, he's he's putting them out left and right. So, I mean, to beat the shift, he just puts a bunt down the line and it sneaks over the wall. I mean – Exactly. It, it, it wouldn't be a shocker. But no, absolutely before, not. 
before you get into the upcoming series, I want to shout out Austin Hayes of the Orioles who hit for the cycle in four at-bats yesterday um, in a downpour. Pretty impressive there. Um, they're also playing the Blue Jays, a so pretty good opponent. Um, not too many cycles in the Orioles history, especially in the last 20 years, but doing it in four, six innings, four at-bats is impressive. And he's just giving a little shout out. And the Orioles, Orioles are playing a little bit better right now, so. Maybe maybe one of their guys will sneak into these top five rankings. Yeah, we'll say maybe I, I could see if we did steals, Mullins is going to be up there. So maybe we'll add in steals in a couple of weeks to get Mullins up there. Yeah. But like you said, we got upcoming series this week, some big series. Uh, Dodgers travel to Atlanta to take on the Braves on Friday. Uh, Freddie Freeman's first trip back to Atlanta. And two National League contenders are going to square off in a three-game set. Um, should be good. I think you're going to see some really solid talent across the board. Acuna is kind of coming to his own again. Um, so a lot, a lot of talent's going to be playing. Uh, we'll see if Mookie Betts is back by then. I think he should be on Friday. We'll see. Um, he may may play on Sunday. I don't know. Um, just a quick little aisle stand with a bruised rib. Uh, and then it, uh, the Astros will travel to the Bronx, take on the MLB best Yankees for on Friday for a three-game set. Um, should be a really good series. Um, you know, again, two of the, two, the probably the two best teams in the, in the American League right now, I think, in terms of a winning percentage and record. I think they're the top two in, in the American League, so should be a really solid set there for them. Probably looking for a 2-1 Yankees series win. And then Boston will travel, Boston will travel to Cleveland on Friday for a three-game set between two early wildcard contenders. Um, you know, again, to, you know, there's going to be, th- what, two wildcard spots this year or three wildcard spots this year. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to have a few teams. I think Boston certainly a team that will make it, and Cleveland's a team that's making a push right now to make it. So um, could be a big kind of a big set there. Uh, Toronto will make their way down to Milwaukee for a three-game set starting Friday, uh, kind of a, a little interleague matchup. Two quality teams, they're going to see each other uh, only once this year, but, you know, potential maybe a, a dark horse World Series matchup should some upsets happen uh, where Toronto and Milwaukee get there. And then they end in our, kind of our final big series of the week. Not a lot of uh, midweek series this week that are real big, but the Astros will stay on the road, traveling just a short distance to Queens from the Bronx, take on the Mets in a two-game set on Tuesday. Um, two top teams in, in the league. I think they both have top five records in the MLB, so should be really solid set there. A lot of star power on display. Um, look for Pete, big, strong guy, Alonzo, to maybe go for like 12 homers in two games. So, you know. Hey, you never know. Uh, but, yeah, definitely be looking forward to see how those series play out. It's always good when you have some, you know, whether it be interleague matchups or, you know, non-divisional matchups. Uh, always fun to see how they stack up against each other just because teams are playing divisions so much in MLB schedule. Yeah, no, it's good to see kind of the interleague matchups. I think it's sometimes hard to judge how teams kind of fare against each other in the inter, in the interleague matchups just kind of prior to just, you know, they're always playing their division, like you said, always playing teams within the conference or within the league rather. So uh, good to see two top teams square off from separate leagues uh, with a couple series this week. But we're going to kind of shift to the college baseball scene here. Um, college World Series is well underway. Like I said earlier to start the episode, we've got all but three teams are left. Um been really it's been really 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 good you know well i don't know how many how many games we played by now what 10 probably um been a, a kind of a set of yeah. really really good games though um had the double elimination round in college world series which was played in omaha nebraska the event started last friday so there's, there's kind of a good bit of to catch up catch y'all up on uh, the sooners continue to be the hottest team in the country since they came to lubbock as they've gone 3-0 in the college world series so far and we'll play the in the final series versus the winner of ole miss arkansas That'll be played today at 3 Central time. Uh, final series will start on, on Saturday at 6 Central. Um, I mean, Oklahoma's on a tear. 
they kind of rolled through their half of the bracket, um, went three and zero, got the win yesterday. They shut down AM. Um, pitching's been dominant. I think they've haven't really given up many runs. So, uh, you know, good to see from them. I felt like they got they kind of screwed in terms of uh, you know where they should have been seated in terms of nationally. So glad that they're kind of proving everybody wrong. And they're going to get to the final here. And it looks like we're going to have – actually, we're going to have two uh, non-nationally ranked or non-nationally seeded teams in the College World Series final as Ole Miss and Arkansas are both – were both not nationally ranked um, or, I guess, seeded, rather, as a top 16 team going into the tournament. So, um, should be a really, really good game today at 3 o'clock. Definitely going to tune in. Definitely going to have it on, see who wins that one. Um, Should be good. So, um, but yeah, Oklahoma's been on a roll. They're highest in the country right now, for sure. Yeah, it's kind of impressive what they've been able to do the past month or so. I mean, AM was looking real good, too. They got real hot at the end of the year, got them all the way up to five nationally. Um, you know, they went two and two in the tourney. They won against UT and Notre Dame, and then their two losses were against OU. Um, OU beat AM. Um, I believe Notre Dame and then AM again. Uh, kind of impressive, like we said, what they've been able to do. Teams that lost twice and were eliminated include the Longhorns, who went 0 and 2, Notre Dame Fighting Irish, who went 1 and 2, Stanford Cardinals, who went 0 and 2, Auburn Tigers went 1 and 2, AM went 2 and 2. And we will have one more team eliminated after the conclusion of today's game, whether it be Ole Miss or Arkansas. Not too sure yet, as the game will probably conclude here in about eight, nine hours. I'm sticking with my prediction of the final being Sooners versus Razorbacks and Arkansas winning the series in the third and final game. I think Sooners take game one and Arkansas wins the final two. I'm not too sure what their pitching staffs look like right now. Obviously, just kind of seeing who has the most rest, not who has adequate rest, um, as you're playing so frequently here when they play in Omaha. But I'm looking forward to seeing who comes out of today's game and definitely be tuned in to that opener on Saturday. Um, Yeah, it should be a really fun series regardless of who the Sooners draw. I mean, all three of those teams that are remaining have been the hottest teams really in the country along with A&M these past, you know, last month, month and a half of the season. So uh, it's going to be real interesting who's pitching continues to play really well and, you know, offense they're, the lineup's kind of used to playing every day, so it's more so on the pitchers in this scenario. You know, it should be, um, like you said, it should be really, really, really good final series. Um, I think I'm going to go with uh, Oklahoma. Oh, obviously Oklahoma's going to be there. And I think I'm going to go with Ole Miss winning today. I don't know who they have pitching, but I think their pitching's been a little more consistent than Arkansas has been this kind of this tournament and kind of through the whole NCAA tournament. So uh, I'm going to go with Ole Miss to win. I'm going to take Oklahoma to win. Uh, I'm going to take them to win in three games. I don't think they sweep them. I think they get the first one and they get the third one. Um, but I think Oklahoma kind of wins it all. That their pitching has just looked, continued to look really good. They have not slowed down at all. So I, I that's the kind of the biggest thing is if your pitching can be consistent because you're playing so many games back to back to back um, in such a short period of time. So I'm going to go with Oklahoma to win it all uh, against Ole Miss winning today. I like it. Yeah, I was I was tempted to change my prediction. But I, I had this before the World Series starts. So I was like, oh, I got to stick with it, even though it may not be my most ideal scenario, just based off how things have gone in Omaha. But I'm going to stick with it. 
Arkansas winning the series two to one. That's pretty much it. Um, not too much on NCAA outside of the College World Series in Omaha. I'm going to shift to the NBA, where we didn't have too much this past week as the NBA season concluded a week ago today. There was just one game played, and it was last Thursday as the Warriors won it 103-90, to winning their fourth championship in the last eight seasons and clinching the NBA Finals in six games. Steph was once again the hero as he finished with 34 points, seven rebounds, and seven assists. He was also over 50% from deep at six for 11. Andrew Williams was also a player, a big time uh, factor in this game 18 points, six rebounds, five assists, four steals, and three blocks. Really impressive stat line from him, and good to see him get that first championship. Jordan Poole had 15 points, three rebounds, two assists. And other than that, no one else scored more than a dozen. So those were really the three guys, really just Wiggins and Steph uh, were the main factors. Draymond was big on the boards, but he normally is. Um, but he was pretty valuable. But, yeah, those two guys were the main scorers. Um, and that's all that ne- all that they needed. While they did shoot, ended up shooting, I think, a percent worse. I think they were 41% shooting. Celtics were 42. Um, they took far more shots, and that's kind of what you need to do if you're not shooting too well to win the game. Um, but the Celtics, I just thought they'd play a little better, but just their big guys, their big time guys couldn't show up. Yeah. I mean, the Celtics, I mean, they got off to a really hot start. They start the game. Uh, they were up 14 to two to start the game and then they allow the Warriors to creep back and, and then Golden State ended up finishing the first half on a 21 0 run and went into the, went into the break up seven or nine, I believe, um, they just struggled to keep the – I mean, they, they had a tough time shooting in the first half, only 39 points in the first half, but they just couldn't keep the ball. They kept turning the ball over, and that's kind of – I believe the magic number for Boston was – it was like 16 turnovers. When they were under 16 turnovers, they were undefeated. When they were over 16 turnovers, they had lost like nearly all their games. So, um, I think they hit that number like just into the third quarter, so definitely not a good night for them. Um Golden State ended up going – they were up like 22 at one point in the third quarter. Um, Boston brought it back, brought it within – I think one brought it within nine uh, early, early, early in the fourth or late in the third. And then Golden State kind of just kept them at bay. They Boston really couldn't cut it after that, couldn't cut it down to more than, you know, 10, 11-point lead. And, um, you know, props to Golden State for kind of withstanding that run uh, and not not letting, not allowing what happened in game one to happen. Um Definitely kind of some some over-the-series maturity from their young guys like Wiggins and Poole. Um, so, you know, impressive to see that from them. But, yeah, I mean, Boston just couldn't – their big guys couldn't do anything. Al Horford, again, struggled. And they just couldn't keep up with Golden State ultimately, which is kind of what did them in the series. Um, you know, Tatum had a terrible game. He was awful. Um, Jalen Brown was the only guy who actually stepped up. He had – was he had 34 points, seven rebounds, three assists, and a steal. Um, Horford scored what third? He scored just over. I think it was like 15 or something like that. Um, Tatum had had 13 yeah. points, but I mean, six of 18 shooting is terrible. Uh, I mean, it's 33. percent Just he just wasn't taking good shots. He wasn't making good shots. Um, I mean, Jalen Brown's what he he willed them to within 10, and they just couldn't get any help from anybody else, and so. And nobody else scored over 13 uh, other than other than uh, Jalen and Al Horford with Tatum coming in right at 13. Um, but, again, 
you just can't have that. You can't have bad shooting nights. You can't score 90 points against the Warriors and, and think you're going to win. So, no, but props to the Warriors after game one. Uh, and I believe game one and game three, they gave up like 120 plus points. And in the games that they won, they held them under 100. So, um, you know, props to the Warriors defense. I think I talked about enough over the season. They were a top five defensive efficiency team in the, in the NBA. So um, they definitely stepped up. And uh, while Steph was the MVP of the finals, Andrew Wiggins was um, kind of played the Andrew, Andrew uh, Andre Iguodala role that he that they uh, he played uh, in 2015 against LeBron, how he kind of played some great defense against him. Wiggins had Tatum in a box. I mean, he didn't know what to do. So um, really impressive from Andrew Wiggins to kind of step up defensively the way. But yeah, we'll kind of shift away from the finals here with the NBA draft set for tonight at 8 o'clock Eastern. Orlando Magic have the first pick. And actually, as we've been recording, the odds have just shifted to Paolo Carroll being the odds-on favorite to uh, be the first overall pick, I believe, minus 115, I think is what it is now. So uh, I think it's going to be fluid as kind of go, th- go throughout the day. But we've done a kind of a, a pair of our mock drafts the last two Mondays. Uh, we're going to have a – we were supposed to have a, a mock draft recap or an, a, rather an NBA draft recap on Monday. But that will just be a part of the NBA segment episode on next – on episode 18 next Thursday. Um, we won't have much NBA to talk about. Any of us are going to throw it in the episode instead of doing a separate uh, Monday episode for it. But um, that kind of wraps up the NBA here. We're going to kind of shift to the NFL and wrap up here pretty quick. Um, decent NFL news this week, but starting off with future Hall of Fame Rob, tight end Rob Gronkowski. Uh, announced his retirement again. Uh, largely assumed he'll be retired for good this time, unlike the last time he retired. It was popularly speculated that his retirement would be would not be permanent, which it wasn't. Um, again, this sh- this sounds like it'll be permanent retirement for him, and think he's really done for good this time. So, um, but yeah, and do a great career for Rob. Yeah, I mean, really fun to watch him past decade or so. Really dominant uh, when playing with Tom Brady. It was fun to watch. One of the best QB tight end duos ever. Um, but the NFL administration, they are currently in Washington, D.C. for the week for a congressional hearing regarding the commander's owner, Dan Snyder, and his workplace conduct over the past two decades. Um, I mean, it's really confusing what the verdict is on his whole story. It's kind of up in the air as to what I mean, there were rumors that he would have to sell the team. And now with the team buying land in Virginia, you really don't know what is going to be the final decision. I think him being forced to sell a team based off what has come out seems like the right decision. Um, And I know a lot of commanders fans who also feel that same way, but I don't know what the ruling would be. Um, But I think definitely it should end with him being removed from his position as owner. And regardless of it, if it's, you know, Jeff Bezos was rumored to buy in the team anyone like that um, I definitely think they'll be in better hands once he's out so that'll be fun to watch for uh, as well Steelers rookie QB Kenny Pickett he signed his rookie deal this morning and now all of the 32 first round picks have agreed to a deal so that's always good to see you don't want to see guys not signing for some reason Um, so this one took a little little bit Uh, I don't know all the reasons to why it took this long but nonetheless all the first round picks have been signed yeah, always good to see all all, of, all the 32 first rounders get their get their deal done. Uh, other news around the league is that All Pro corner Jalen Ramsey underwent shoulder surgery on his left shoulder earlier this week. He should be ready by the before the start of the season. Um, I believe it was a torn labrum. It's a super routine routine procedure. Um, 
oftentimes guy tears, tears a labor midseason. He'll just play with it. I think actually I think Jalen tore both of them. One of them didn't require surgery. One of them did. Um, but again, usually you just play through it and uh, just have to deal with it and then uh, get it, get it fixed in the off season. But uh, yeah, no, this is a routine procedure. Uh, no, no issues on his health. Uh, long-term should be ready to go by, by training camp or before training camp. Yeah. I mean, he should be fine. It's not a worry about the season really. Uh, but sticking with Pittsburgh, they signed a rookie QB, like I said. Uh, they also signed defensive tackle Larry Ogunjobi to a one-year deal earlier this week. No contract terms have been announced yet, but it's rumored to fall within a one-and-a-half to two-and-a-half mil. Um, I mean, he's a really solid player, and for that money, it's, it's a good signing for him. And based off, you know, what their D-line looks like right now, I think it'll be a good addition. Yeah, no doubt. Definitely a solid signing. Um, kind of value's going to go down as we kind of get later into the offseason here. Um but in some off the field news, Deshaun Watson has come to a settlement, come to settlement agreements in 20 of his 24 civil lawsuits. So four are still going on, though there have been rumored that there are two more allegations that have kind of come to light this week. I'm not, not really sure what's going to happen there, but um, basically this means that he's going to be, you know, paying uh, 20 different women money um, and in terms of as a way of settling uh, these agreements to kind of get them out of civil court. Um, and we'll kind of touch on what it what his suspension is going to be rumored at. Yeah, definitely an interesting scenario here. I mean, assume, you know, they said a ruling would be out by mid-July, so I'm not sure if that will hold true or not, but within the next few weeks here, we should definitely hear what his, what the um, final decision is on his status with the Browns and when he'll play. Um, but rumors around the league, they're looking to issue a one-year suspension. Um, I mean, the uh, NFL never really has been known for – holding up to what they say. Um, so we'll see if it actually holds true, but I think it will. I think one year will be the decision on his suspension, whether, I mean, whether he comes back and plays after that, I guess still is unknown, but that's probably going to be the scenario as of now. We've got some breaking news. It is football related, college football related. Arch managers committed to University of Texas. Wow. I'm, I'm shocked. I thought, I thought he was going to go to Georgia. Damn, mm-hmm. that's that's wild. He's getting a bag, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, that's why. Wow. Well, that's that's huge for Texas. Um, that's a big get for sure. We'll see. Hopefully for Arch, it's not the wrong decision. Um, who knows if that's gonna change in the next year, but that's pretty that's pretty crazy. Um pretty crazy stuff for March there. Yeah, that's I mean, top caliber prospect. Your last name is Manning. Oh yeah. Um I mean, he probably got paid a good bit to go there. Over he's already school. he's already getting talked about as like a as an NFL draft pick, and he's 17. So that's yeah. But when your last name is Manning, that's gonna happen. Um, pretty crazy. Kind of get back to the NFL news here. Um, like it literally just happened as we were as we finished up this recording here. Um, retired or recently retired NFL journeyman and Q and fan favorite quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick or Ryan Fitzmagic, as he's better known by by the fans. We'll be joining Amazon Prime Video uh, for the with their pregame crew for Thursday Night Football. Um, it's a big get for their on-screen NFL talent. Um, everyone loves Fitzpatrick. I, I'm, I'm glad he's going to go into broadcasting or at least going to commentating or analyst or whatever you want to call him as, as kind of the pregame crew. Um, definitely a big get for them. I think they're going to try. It seems like they're trying to infuse some younger, um, kind of some younger talent in terms of uh, on-screen former players. So, we let to see Fitzpatrick get that deal done. Um, definitely going to, pr- pardon me, going to boost Amazon's uh, product for sure. 
Yeah, no, he's kind of he's the kind of guy with the personality you want to see on TV. Uh, and I think that'll be really good to watch. And I'll definitely be excited to look forward watching that every Thursday. But to round out the NFL segment, uh, yesterday, Ravens legend Tony Siragusa passed away at 55. He was a dominant defensive tackle. He initially played for the Baltimore Colts for a few years. And then when they left, he played for the Ravens uh, on that team in front of, you know, Ray Lewis. Only played one season with Ed Reed. Um, but also 26-year-old Jalen Ferguson, who was a fourth-year defensive end that the Ravens drafted in the third round back in 2019, died due to what m- most believe to be an overdose. Uh, still not entirely sure. Still holds the all-time record for most sacks in a college career with 45 during his four seasons at Louisiana Tech. And kind of crazy that two players within the same organization passed away on the same day. Um, 30 years, one's 30 years older than the other, but nonetheless, kind of sad and you know, kind of weird that that happens. Um, they had no ties to each other whatsoever or anything. It's just coincidental. But, you know, Siragusa, everyone knows him as Goose. Uh, really good defensive tackle. He was a fan favorite in Baltimore. And then Jalen Ferguson was just coming into his own. Uh, They're looking for him to have a solid year this year. Um, just kind of fighting for that up that edge depth chart. But, um sad to see that yeah i know he's engaged and has a kid so that's really sad for their family as well um but yeah i mean these things happen you just gotta deal with what you have and it's tough to see especially you know athlete like ferguson who has his whole life in front of him and then Siragusa, who had a really good career but nonetheless he still has a good bit of life ahead of him um so it's really sad but to finish out our episode we are going to hit the ice bath as we have these past few weeks. Basically just covering, you know, we're going to cover two things each today, alternate through them, just random funny things we saw in the sports world. Most of the time they're football, but we're just going to go through. Um, I'll kick it off and then you'll round it out. Um, just a couple things. So this past week, the I Am Athlete podcast released an episode where they had Chase Claypool on the set. And during the interview with him, he said that he believes he's a top three wide receiver in the NFL. Um, I'm not sure if he has CTE already or what, but bro wasn't even top three on his own team until TikTok megastar Juju left for KC in free agency. Um, Yeah, I don't know what he was on or if it was like a special episode. I don't know, but that broke news and went pretty viral. Um, I don't really know what was his thought process behind that. Um, I hope the stats don't back it up. Um, I don't think really anything backs it up other than maybe top three wide receiver who spends more time on TikTok than practicing. That would be all I can think of that he would finish top three in, really. Um, Yeah, really confusing take there from Claypool. Yeah, I'm not really sure what the thought process there was, to be honest with you. Um, like you said, he was not he, – he was the third best receiver, uh, you know, on his team potentially. So, not really sure where he's getting that from. I'm not sure he was in his ear telling him that or maybe if it was like a joke or it was like a, like a, like a April Fool's episode potentially that they just released late. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, he was he's, – he's on one there if he thinks he's the top three receiver in the NFL. Um, top three in like – Hair length, maybe. I mean, he's got long hair. Maybe, maybe that's what he's talking about. I don't know. But bro was definitely um, not correct in saying that. Um, but I'll kind of shift to another NFL news here off the pod. Um, 
or off the field. Uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell appears to have committed perjury this week while under oath during the congressional hearings regarding Dan Snyder. Um, Roger said he does not he did not know who Dave Portnoy is. Uh, those who don't know, Dave Portnoy is the owner of Barstool Sports. Roger definitely knows who Dave Portnoy is. That was a load of BS when he said he didn't know. Um, Roger has banned Dave from from events. He's kicked Dave out of multiple other events, including the Super Bowl, where Dave was just simply trying to attend as a ticket holding fan. He had to purchase a ticket legally. He was trying to attend uh, just as a fan, go sit in his seat. Uh, presumably a box seat, um, but just, you know, again, go to the game, enjoy, take it in as a, as a football fan. He was not allowed to enter as he was banned from the premises. Uh, he also won a COVID raffle. Uh, I believe it was like a, like a giveaway or a raffle of some sort during COVID that the NFL did to raise some money for COVID relief. Um, it was lunch with the commissioner, Portnoy won. And um, upon the news that he won, um, Roger Goodell, or I guess rather his office, I guess if he's saying this, um, ended up denying and revoking um, Dave Portnoy's winning of the of the raffle, and uh, he was denied lunch with Roger Goodell, which seems just absolutely stupid. Um, not really sure what Roger's problem with him is. I, I like, bro, you're the commissioner. People aren't gonna like you, and he's almost trying to embrace this whole like everyone hates me thing at the draft, where he's like, people boom, and he's like, I couldn't hear you guys, and like he lets them boo more. It's like if you're gonna embrace it, understand that people aren't gonna like you. And maybe they're going to be famous people, too. So um, I think Rogers should be punished to the full ex- fullest extent for committing perjury. Uh, that's one year in county prison. So um, he needs to be locked up. And plus the $4,000 fine needs to be locked up, put in prison for a year. Um, committing perjury is no joke, especially when considering it's the Dan Snyder, everything going on there. It's a very serious matter. So sounds like Roger needs to spend some time in prison. Um, definitely in general population, don't give him any sort of protective uh, whatever. Maybe Rogers should you know, figure out what it's like considering he wants to just ban people from things, maybe get a taste of his own medicine. Um, maybe he wants to, someone wants to remind Roger of the rules um, before he goes on record saying he doesn't know who Ray Rice is tomorrow, or maybe another controversial player or person. So um, yeah, maybe he should remember the rules next time he's like under oath with the, with, you know, in, in court. So um, yeah, Roger's a clown. Hey, the dude needs to get out of here. He needs to go do something else other than be the commissioner. Yeah, I, that's that's really confusing. Um, Roger, I don't know what his deal is, but Portnoy is definitely a guy I would want to have lunch with. Uh, I could have a lot of betting insider tips from him. But back to my second take on ESPN earlier this week, Keyshawn Johnson said that the New York Giants, yes, the Giants, will be this year's Cincinnati Bengals in terms of a team who was going to come off an awful year, have double-digit wins, and make a Super Bowl like the Bengals did. By the way, the Bengals were not that good last year. They got most of their wins by way of playing division opponents who were very injury-depleted. They should have lost to the Raiders in the first round, and they have a top-five kicker who won them the second game. Them making the Super Bowl last year has almost single-handedly ruined Twitter as well. Um it's not as bad anymore, but definitely the first month or so after the Super Bowl, it was rough, and it wasn't ideal to go on Twitter until really free agency started. So that was the Bengals fans' fault. Uh, they don't have an ideal fan base, and when you don't have much success and you get to the Super Bowl, you tend to forget kind of the meaning of it and how you got there, and you think you're like some perennial powerhouse team now. Um if the whole league's healthy, Cincinnati's not a playoff team. 
so I just wanted that to be known and yeah that's that's pretty much it on my part yeah you're not wrong um the Bengals were the luckiest team in the league being as healthy as healthy as they were I've always said it takes a lot of luck to make a Super Bowl run um you know they got lucky that Pat Mahomes played his worst half um you know football ever against them so you know whatever but um yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna head on to my my last ice bath and then I'll wrap us up and we'll get out of here today um this isn't a stat or I guess this is a stat that's not new news but I was reminded of it today my guy Justin Herbert uh, the king Chargers quarterback uh, holds the record for most passing touchdowns through a player's first two seasons uh, with 69 touchdowns it's very nice Justin wanted to close off the pod on a nice on a nice note today with a nice stat. Um, very nice stat stat here from Justin Herbert with 69 passing touchdowns for his through, through his first two seasons, that being an NFL record uh, for most passing touchdowns through a player's first two NFL seasons in the league, all that stuff, 69 touchdowns. Very nice, Justin. And that's going to wrap it up today. Uh, we will see you guys on Thursday with the episode. Again, no NBA draft recap on Monday. We're going to skip that. We're just going to throw it into the episode on uh, on Thursday, give us some, some NBA stuff to talk about. Um, Hopefully we we'll have some more free agency news. I know I know I forgot we forgot to mention it today, but Brad Beal uh, did decline his option. He'll become a free agent, hit the market. But other than that, that's gonna wrap us up today. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cold Seat Podcast. Make sure to be watching next Thursday for our next episode to kind of hear our thoughts in the NBA draft. But that's gonna do it for us today. And we'll see you guys on Thursday.